Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. trial by content it's the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the coliseum of contentious opinion so we can all decide what wins each week your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic set the specific rules and rumble until a consensus is reached then with input from you the listener base we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four nominee poll that will enter trial by content and decide the true answer for all time Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez. Hello, I'm Joanna Robinson. And hello, I'm Neil Miller. What's that in the sky? It's not a bird, it's not Superman, it's a plane. And probably not a Southwest plane if you're looking up in the sky right now. This week, we're soaring to a competition that's usually airborne as we dare to debate the best airplane movie. It probably includes hijacking or some sort of greater plot just based on the averages, but this week we're going to find out for sure. But first... We have the results of last week's poll where we tried to guess the biggest movie of 2023 and tub thumping is on the line. Joanna, how did we do? Thank you so much for asking me, Dave. I'm really, really pleased to answer this question for you. And also, I want to remind listeners, if you maybe didn't listen to last week's episode and you're like, you pick and choose what you want to listen to and you're like, hot dog, a plane episode. That's what I'm definitely listening <laughs> That's to. That's the one. <laughs> this is where I finally try trial by content. <laughs> but you didn't listen to last week's episode, which is going to be like relevant all year long, which is the big 2023 movie bet. Um, that the three of us and a listener engaged in where we tried to pick what we thought would be the biggest. By that, we mean sort of like most culturally relevant. Neil has concocted an algorithm to figure this out, metrics at least, to figure this out for us. Um, So we will be checking in uh, as the year goes on to what the biggest movie will be, and we'll figure that out by the end of the year. Um, And Tub Thumping, um, inspired by the (laughs) classic Chumbawamba ballad, uh, is where someone has to drink a whiskey drink, a vodka drink, a cider drink, and a lager drink. Um, and so, really looking like he's heading towards a possible tub thump is one <laughs> Mr. Dave Gonzalez, <laughs> who I'm like shocked. I'm shocked you came in last on this poll, honestly, with Mario Brothers. Okay? I'm not shocked. I, I'm shocked <laughs> I came in last. I'm not shocked I didn't win because if as as was part of the episode. 
this will be a thing like, like if I win, it'll just be big and surprising, but it'll just be a huge four quadrant thing. So I'm not surprised to be underestimated because I got Chris Pratt. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow wars with like a word. Um, I thought you were le- you would at least come in third, but in third place is our listener pick, which is the Barbie movie. Uh, just sort of edging out Dave. So the Greta Gerwig, uh, you know, Barbie extravaganza. We don't really quite know what that movie is, but our <laughs> listeners have decided it's going to be it for 2023. It's definitely the most wild card movie on the board this year so far. We Yeah, we got a lot of votes in this poll, more than usual. And it was really neck and neck for one and two. Um, Neil came in just like a close second with Mission Impossible. And then my pick of Across the Spider-Verse, part two, part one. Part one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, part one. Uh, number one. So will it be Tom Cruise? Will it be, uh, you know, a bunch of spiders? We'll find out. But uh, when does the first one of these come out? It's Mario me. Brothers. Yeah, it's me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's we'll know about me pretty can, early on in the year. <laughs> do you want to Do you want to take that again, but say, it's a me? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> it's a me. <laughs> there, unaccented I Mario. I did it. Yeah, unaccented Mario. I am from New York because you see me leave New York before I enter the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> All right. So we'll know pretty soon whether or not Dave will be tub thumping at the end of the year, uh, and then we'll continue to to check in. But that is uh, the the poll results from last week. Seems to think that probably either Neil or I are going to win this bet, but we shall see. Um, what if none of us picked the winner? Does that mean we all have to tub them? I think that's what it... We may have said something along those lines last week, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm like such an all or nothing. Uh, yes, let's all do it. There can let's only be one drink. winner, but there can be multiple losers. <laughs> a lot of a lot of our listeners... A lot of the responses to the poll I saw were people shocked that we didn't have Dune 2 on there. And like, we talked about Dune 2. Um, and it... And maybe it's going to be Dune too. Sure. But well, anyway, I guess didn't we say that if the listener wins, we're all going to tub thump? Yeah. So I guess so, uh, same Barbie, rule applies. If Barbie or Oppenheimer or Dune two or any other movie coming out this year is the movie according to Neil's metrics, then we'll all be we tub thumping. All pay dearly for that <laughs> yeah. choice. And if Mission Impossible wins, then it's then we're I chasing go. it with cruise cake. Oh we're yeah, cruise cake. cruise cake. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like this. This is perhaps the first trial we've done where there are actual consequences for us choosing the wrong thing. We're trying out a lot of things here in uh, the new year. What what about consequences? Experimenting with consequences. What if there were consequences? I think think this means we all need to be in the same place at the end of the year, by the way, because I feel like we should do this in person together. All right, we'll figure it out. This week, (laughs) for some reason, we decided to hook our podcast to the Gerard Butler film called Plane. Before we get into everything we're going to talk about Plane related, I want to talk about Jerry Butler for a second. Excellent. This is not anything that I prepped you guys for. The Dracula 2000? <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to like look at the Gerard Butler's like filmography and sort of decide when Jerry became this like... Uh, Per, like, you know what you're getting with a Gerard Butler movie, which is something that's probably going to be bad, but fun. Right? Okay. 
while you look at the filmography and consider it, I'm going to very briefly, I hope, tell my Gerard Butler at the Oscars story, which is that <clears throat> I have only been to the Oscars once in my life, pre right pre-COVID. And um, Gerard Butler was like strangely haunting me at the Oscars that year. He showed up at the exact same time I did. So we like walked into the Oscars together, not together, but together. You know what I mean? Um, I saw him at my seat. I saw him at the bar. I saw like there's famos everywhere, but I kept seeing Jar Butler. And then he left at the exact same time I did. Uh, oh, I saw first I went to the governor's ball. I saw him there. And then we decided to leave the governor's ball at the same. And I was just like, Jar Butler, stop following me. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's my, <laughs> it's, it's my Jerry Butler story. Um, all right. So uh, when did Gerard Butler become Capital G Gerard, capital B Butler. Dave, what do you what do you think? I mean, I know where I would say the switch happened where suddenly I knew exactly what a Gerard Butler movie was. And that's around like 2008's Rock and Rolla, where he sort of was like, I'm not going to do as many romantic based drama things. It's like all action. But I guess How to Train Your Dragon, he also is in there. So I'm going to say... Everything after 2009's Gamer. I'm going to say that's the Switch movie. Where it's just like, he's in a very dumb action movie as uh, basically like an avatar. And uh, Gerard Butler just gives up his life to being an avatar for action, I think, after that. Um, okay, I have a different answer. But Neil, what is your what is your answer? Well, this is tough because I think Gerard Butler was... You know, obviously, sort of a heartthrob on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean before he was imported to the United States um, and was in some really great movies like Dear Frankie that I know him for. Like, that's like 2004 era. He was also in like Reign of Fire. So he's, he's yeah, not. Yeah, Reign of Fire. He was sort of like a that guy action movie guy for a little while at the end of the 90s and right at the turn of the century there. But I don't, you know, I don't think Gerard Butler became Gerard Butler until the fallout from 300. Right, because when 300 came out in 2007, everybody was like, "Look at how much this dude worked out," and it was true. He worked out. He he got to sort of peak fitness, Gerard Butler, and he has been sort of living off of that. I think as an action movie guy, ever since. Obviously, he does not do as many crunches these days. I'm sure <laughs> there's, there's he doesn't spend most of playing with his shirt off, but. Uh, he's been he's been living the action guy life, I think, since since Zack Snyder brought him to the fore in 300. Because then you get yeah, you get like Rock and Rolla, you get Gamer, uh, you get the Bounty Hunter. There was and there was this like era where he they started to mix in action guy, romantic comedy lead, and it got real weird for a while there. I'm pretty sure there's at least one <laughs> Catherine Heigl movie in there. Oh yeah, it's really bad. The Ugly Truth. It's yeah. like one of the worst movies that's ever existed. So there was like a high um, saturation era of Gerard Butler right there at the end of the 20, 2009, 10. What's really interesting is like early 2000s Gerard Butler, I feel like it's sort of like Colin Farrell, early Colin Farrell thing where they were trying to like, they were trying to figure out where does Gerard Butler go, right? It's the conversation we're having a lot this year about Colin Farrell in terms of like, he was this sort of like leading man heartthrob and then everyone realized that he's a character actor and that's where he's better suited, right? So where does Gerard Butler fit? And like, if you if you talk, like, not to split this gender-wise, but if you talk to like a lot of the women in my life, 
Fan of the Opera looms large. <laughs> and and PS I Love You looms large. In the, and so it's like so funny because he's like this act, like a lot of people who typically like sort of like male marketed movies know him as his action guy, but he also has this like legacy with women via his bizarre Fan of the Opera appearance. <laughs> and PS I Love You, where he You're- plays a. <laughs> Sexy ghost. You're basically um, describing the difference in Gerard <laughs> Butler fandom, both of which are high between me and my mother. My mother yeah. could tell you every <laughs> heartthrob role he's had all the way back to the mid-90s. Whereas I'm like, yeah, I went to see Geostorm in theaters. <laughs> but like, but, but that's what I'm talking about. So when he becomes Geostorm slash plain Gerard Butler, I feel like that starts with Olympus Has Fallen. Okay. And 2013. I feel like that's when there was this whole debate where people are like, was that a good movie? No. Was it a great movie? Yes. Then, like, the Gerard Butler legacy changed. Because I feel like... Was that movie slightly better than the movie starring Channing Tatum that was basically <laughs> the exact same movie that came out <laughs> almost the exact same year? Yes. I think he won. I think he won that, like, Dante's Peak uh, yeah. sort of Which debate. honestly yeah. worked out well for all of us because Channing Tatum has done some great dancing since. And then he does. And then he did London Has Fallen and Angel Has Fallen, like, you know, the Fallen franchise. And then, you know, Geostorm and Plane. So, you know. Isn't it mostly the Fell franchise? Because they're all, they all, they have, they have already fallen. You're right, you're right. The Fell franchise. Sure, the franchise that (laughs) fell. Um, Well, and I think, you know, those Fallen movies when it comes down to it, they're they're all pretty lean, solid action movies. And I think that's what you get from stuff like Den of Thieves. Honestly, that's kind of what you get from Geostorm as well. Because, listen, the premise of that movie is ridiculous. But if you've ever seen a Gerard Butler movie, like, I wish Gerard Butler was in space, that's the movie. That's the one for you. It's Geostorm. He goes to space to fix the weather. Um, so I just... <laughs> <laughs> Gerard Butler goes to space to face the weather, or when you told me last week that you're like, there's a movie just called Plane, and it's a Gerard Butler movie, and I was like, I feel like I know what that is. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about when exactly. I mean, when did that become Gerard Butler's legacy? Um, so anyway. Um, yeah. And I think he's he's thriving in that role. And uh, I also think those are movies that we need in this. That's like, that's that mid-level action movie that's that's, you know, made for less than $50 million at this point is sort of the lifeblood of movie theaters. I'm not, I'm not jumping to like James Cameron. We need to wipe streaming off the face of the planet and go back to movie theaters uh, quite yet. But I like that these kind of movies like plane exist as a reason to go to the movie theater. Can I, um, can I tell you what, after playing what is the premise of his next movie directed by the director of the Fell franchise? Is. Yes, yes. All right. So from the director of the Fell Fallen franchise <laughs> comes Kandahar. <laughs> Tom Harris, an undercover CIA operative. Like Gerard Butler, be Scottish again, I, I beg of you. Sure. Is stuck, you don't have to is work stuck, for the American government. <laughs> Deep in hostile territory in Afghanistan, he must fight his way out alongside his Afghan translator to an extraction point in Kandahar, all whilst avoiding the elite special forces. Oh, no, I'm sorry. All whilst avoiding the elite special forces tasked with hunting them down. So I feel like this is going to be a great 
Very geopolitically sensitive movie. Sure. <laughs> I'm very mm-hmm. excited. That sounds it. like it. Well, I would also, even in his most more recent output, I would put this in the same category as like Den of Thieves or Cop Shop, where it's Gerard Butler trying to be more serious, maybe. Um, whereas I think Plane fits in perfectly with the uh, the Fallen series because that's the level of seriousness that those movies are operating <laughs> on. <laughs> and from what I, all I've heard, Plane sounds like it's really fun. So the the last thing I'll say, Mike Coulter is the second lead of Plane, and that's really fun. Um, the last thing I'll say is that Gerard Butler's character name in Plane is Brody Torrance, <laughs> and I think that's great. <laughs> so when a character shows up and, and his name Brody <laughs> Torrance, you know that guy's saving the day. Yeah, it's not <laughs> quite as good as his Den of Thieves character name, which is Big Nick O'Brien, but it'll do. Um, <laughs> all right, so that has been Gerard Butler Corner <laughs> with Joanna Robinson. Neil Miller, take us to Plain Town. Yes, it is time uh, to settle this age-old question. Well, I guess only as old as the airplane itself uh, <laughs> and cinema. But uh, your choice for the best airplane movie must be a film that takes place at least largely on an airplane uh, we last week you'll remember we sort of disqualified like fighter movies like Top Gun because while they do take place on airplanes we're we're looking for big airplanes uh, and of course each of your faithful hosts will present their pick in an opening argument then we will consider your wonderful suggestions we got a ton of them I believe my exact quote was the listeners showed up in style this week with some <laughs> suggestions uh, but first we need to dismiss some things uh, in a section we call pre-trial dismissals. These are contenders that you will not hear mentioned in the debate. Uh, We're introducing a new award this week. It's called the Nice Try Awards, (laughs) which uh, we got a few folks that found creative solutions to answering the question of what is the best airplane movie. And it starts with uh, listener Jenny, who outlined all of the in-flight moments in succession, which I agree a lot of really fun, interesting, juicy stuff happens on planes in succession, but that is a television show. So <laughs> it doesn't qualify for the movie debate. Uh, next up, we have uh, Lanny, who argued that the fifth element counts <laughs> because it takes place <laughs> on both a flying taxi and a space cruise ship. Um, nice try. Yeah. Nice try. <laughs> close. <laughs> but we were looking for, you know, play- flying taxi is is up there with like fighter jets though you can't fit enough people to have a bunch of that guys in the background of a flying taxi movie Uh, and that's what we need for an airplane movie and then of course uh this one i felt was the most inspired came from jeff who argued uh, simply that the wedding singer counts because of the scene at the end where adam sandler sings uh was a billy idol song to drew barrymore i want i want to grow old with you isn't it billy idol's there Oh, yeah, that Billy Idol's there. That's right. I want to grow old with you. Yeah. Fantastic uh, ending to The Wedding Singer, which uh, has inspired a prompt, which is, uh, what is your favorite airplane scene in a movie that would not otherwise qualify for this debate? Uh, and let's let's start with Dave. I picked a scene that goes across a couple of movies uh, and is integral to the action, but uh, is not... The movie doesn't mostly take place on a plane. I'm going to go with the uh, Final Destination plane explosion. The original one was in 2000. Uh, Devin Sawa remembers or has a vision of his plane <laughs> exploding. And, I forgot uh, that it happens across can, multiple movies. <laughs> yeah. It gets his friends off the plane, but guess what? Uh, the Grim Reaper is going to get him anyway because uh, their their final destination was supposed to be dying in that plane explosion. And then come along to Final Destination 
five, which is secretly a prequel. And some more of our characters are caught up in the exact same plane explosion. So uh, the final destination plane explosion is my answer. Nice. Joanna. Um, I'm going to do a smuggle here and mention uh, <laughs> a TV, a TV uh, scene and then my movie answer. For TV, and this is like ironic, but not. It's the scene in the episode of The Newsroom where the murderous <laughs> row of David Harbour, Olivia Munn, and Thomas Sadowski, a.k.a. Mr. Amanda Seyfried, are on a plane, and they get to tell everyone on the plane that Osama bin Laden is dead. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, I That movie, that show is a complete mess, and there are moments that I love, and that's a moment that I both love and hate, uh, is the newsroom, Osama bin Laden is dead on a plane scene. Um, <laughs> But uh, my movie answer is a little film called French Kiss, where Meg Ryan plays uh, a character who is afraid to fly, but um, she has to fly because her uh, shitty boyfriend, played by Timothy Hutton, has, like, abandoned her for a Parisian hottie. So she has to get on a plane from Canada to go get her shitty fiancé back. Spoiler alert, guys, for French Kiss, a (laughs) film from the 90s. (laughs) She will not wind up with shitty Timothy Hunt because sat next to her on this plane is a scruffy bearded, Frenchly accented Kevin Klein, who is also smuggling jewels out of the country inside of a wine plant. Anyway, he like gets her, tries to get her drunk, is trying to distract her for how stressed she is. They have like a very combative, meet cute on a plane. Love that movie. Love that scene. So French kiss. Fantastic. Because like a like a part a staple of the plane movie is, <laughs> uh, I'm not lucked in here with you. You're lucked in here with me. Like you know, like we're trapped here, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I mean that that plus big questionable accents also describes my choice, which is <laughs> okay, the scene from The Dark Knight Rises, in which Tom Hardy's Bane, who has been recently captured by the CIA is really the one capturing people. Um, and he kills off Aiden Gillen in, in Aiden Gillen's third most interesting accent of all time behind Littlefinger <laughs> and Tommy Carcetti is Tommy Carcetti. whatever he's doing in The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> but uh, Christopher Nolan, who you'll note uh, most recently detonated a nuclear bomb for real, very much dropped <laughs> a plane out of the air for real for this scene. And I appreciate that. Um I, I have a bonus one that goes with, kind of goes with mine. This is from our, our producer, Carlos. He, he just mentioned the extremely long runway scene in Fast and Furious 6. Because I think that one, that that really does nice. qualify. Great I, plane stuff. I kind of say nice try on that one. If I were to <laughs> nominate a plane scene from the Fast and Furious, oh. it would be Jason Statham rescuing a baby on a yeah, plane, right? The, the only yeah. good scene in Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, thank you to the Fast and Furious franchise for giving us some good plane scenes, but not many good plane movies. I don't think is that Hobbs and Shaw. I thought it was. Uh, eight. Oh no, it's yeah, it's the one. Fate of the Furious. Fate of the Furious. Oh no, why do I know that much about the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise? Uh, yeah, monetize monetize that uh, that knowledge. Otherwise, yeah. I don't know it's, why it happened. It's going to come around again this year at some point. Um, all right, so then we just, we want to talk about the timeline of the airplane movie, because as I mentioned, airplanes have been around for a while. Cinema has been around for a while and they've been making fun airplane movies since at least the early seventies. 
right? This first one we have on our list is Airport from 1970, which is the movie that is sort of the basis for a lot of the humor in a movie that is going to definitely make the debate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, here here's something fascinating. So in the 1970s, we had movies like Airport, Skyjacked with James Brolin, May Day at 40,000 Feet. <laughs> I have always held this sort of unified theory of airplane movies that they are a really interesting time capsule of like America, the American like cultural lexicon, right? Like just, and also air travel has changed. Like if you've been alive as long as I have, you've gone through several eras of like air. And we didn't, I didn't even get to experience the really fancy era of air travel, which was like in the 60s and 70s, right? The Pan Am, the Pan Am Don Draper, Catch Me If You Can era. Exactly. Yeah. Leo looks like he was having such a great time in that era. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you even had like, we were joking today, like remember when you used to be able to go to the airport gate and wait for someone mm-hmm. who was arriving? And there were like gags in movies from the 70s and 80s and even the 90s about how easy it was to get through airport security and how airports were like these communal gathering places. And that is so far from the truth now, <laughs> I think. Yeah, there's a there's a character in the 1970 airport who is just an old lady who is a like, like a frequent stowaway, I think they call her. But she'll just go to the airport and just get on a flight <laughs> and she just like ends up going places. But it's like, that used to be a thing you could do you could Kevin McAllister it if you were, you know, savvy enough and just get on. That's a, that's a Home Alone 2 reference and get on a different <laughs> plane. <laughs> um, do you, um, uh, do you think for like younger, uh, you know, film lovers or whatever, it's disorienting to watch like an older movie? Like it has to be, or, right? Or a movie set in older and like, like you think about like Almost Famous where like Patrick Fugit, like, runs along the windows to watch and Kate Hudson can wave from inside the airplane as like to say goodbye because he's right there at her gate to see her off. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, he's not yeah. driving in a circle around the, the pickup lane <laughs> outside the airport. Like that's what it would yeah, be right. today. It's like he's not, some he's not cop is telling him to go line. around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also things like uh, there's a really great joke in airplane about getting a smoking ticket. She literally hands him a ticket that's smoking. But the idea that there were smoking sections on planes is is something I don't know. If you were born, if you, if you were a baby around or after 9-11, these don't make any sense to you. Well, that's, I think, another thing that happens with the timeline of airport movies is a lot of them involved uh, involves like some sort of hijacking plot. Uh, that that was happening actually in America in that time period, but uh, it, or at least in the seventies when it starts, uh, late sixties, early seventies. But then as it transitions into like the nineties, it's like it's not just like a hijacking with somebody that we're going to like maybe sympathize with. It is like the worst criminal in all of history (laughs) is going to Los Angeles for trial. And the only thing time he has to escape is to hijack this plane. And the the hijacking, (laughs) the only person who can stop him is the president of the United States. (laughs) Is Wesley Snipes. (laughs) Yeah. And then 9-11 happens and they start, the hijacking uh, doesn't become like the only plot that could happen on planes. And if it does, it has to sort of like nod towards 9-11. But also the hijackings become distinctly more white 
uh, post post 2000, uh, 2001. You know, that's another thing I noticed watching uh, some of the older ones in my prep is that and, and I wonder if this is a consequence of like the idea of an airplane being a place where you get a bunch of different people together who normally are not around each other. Right. Like a bunch of people from a local area, but maybe not exactly neighbors. But there's a lot of like racial stereotype humor in a lot of these movies. It's it not all of it has aged well, especially when you get into the 90s and they start getting into like the terrorism stuff where it's like you kind of start when you watch them all together, you kind of start to feel like, did this have a, a, a profound negative impact on us culturally in the late nineties leading up to nine 11, maybe gulp, but <laughs> you know, can I, can I mention one? We don't have this on the list cause it's not a plane, movie, but one like iconic moment of cinema that marks the pivot from the nineties to the post nine 11 airplane movie, which is, <laughs> Hugh Grant's opening monologue from Love Actually, where he talks about, you know, when you whenever I think about the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. And he's like talking about like watching family and loved ones greet each other. And then he says, when the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls that came from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around, but it's like such a weird <sighs> mood killer for him to be like, love, let's talk about it. And it's like a montage of all these people like smooshing. And he's like, when the planes hit the Twin Towers, you're like, oh, David, which is the name of his prime minister character. What are you talking <laughs> Listen, about? 9-11 <laughs> did a lot of things to a lot of people, both in the real world, but also into our culture. Do you remember the Robert Pattinson movie? I don't even yes. remember yes. the title, but I believe remember, it. Remember me. Actually, <laughs> actually don't don't talk about it. I want to. I maybe want to reserve that for a later debate we're having <laughs> on our schedule. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, let's just say it was, it's weird that 9-11 was involved. <laughs> the, look, well, you know how there was this whole, um, there was this whole summit. Dave knows about this. You probably know about this too, but there was this whole like conversation that, uh, Washington, the politicians had with Hollywood about like how to change the narrative post 9-11. And it's like, ramp up the jingoism. Like, this is what we're going to do. Like that actually happened. Um, but yeah, the post 9-11 plane movie is, is a different animal. Um, how would you describe the difference? I mean, I want to shout out two of the nineties movies that we're not going to be talking about, but are hilarious because I think of this transition from how we think about like hijackings there's passenger 57 which is a wesley snipes action vehicle where he plays his wife's dead and he's very sad um but he is now like a plane expert slash ex law enforcement and he happens to be on a flight where international terrorist charles rain they call his uh period of activity the reign of terror <laughs> Uh, not spelled correctly. Um, he tries to escape while he's on the plane. And there is, as there are in a lot of these movies, an explosive decompression. And then Wesley Snipes just throws the villain out of the side of the plane at 35,000 feet. That's the conclusion <laughs> to how Passenger 57 deals with it. And then there's also Turbulence, which is a 1997 movie. And we're going to be talking about some other movies on airplanes in this period. But this one is uh there's another prisoner transfer 
but it's a bank robber and Ray Liotta, who is the accused Lonely Heart Strangler. The bank robber manages to escape, I believe, because the air marshal has a heart attack or some such thing, um, which leaves Ray Liotta and, uh, free and a flight attendant, the only person who could fly at the plane. And there's sort of a middle section of the movie where everybody's sort of debating, like, this Lonely Heart Strangler guy seems like a nice dude. Do you think he really was like the Lonely Heart Strangler? And then he strangles somebody and starts attacking people with an axe. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just like asked and answered. The, yeah, uh. how they how both of those movies deal with essentially the same plot uh, is uh, pretty pretty great. And these are two essential categories within the subgenre of airplane movies, because right, because it's you can go with a hijacking of the plane by some sort of group or organization or person. Or it's a prisoner transfer, and yeah. the prisoner is the danger, uh, or the prisoner is secretly the hero. You never know. Oh. <laughs> you I never like, know. I like. Um, I like how we got like a couple after after nine eleven. I feel like we got some high concept like this movie, but on a plane. So like how I was describing the two thousand five movie Flight Plan, which is Jodie Foster, her daughter goes missing. I was like, oh, this is safe room on a plane, right? Because this is like Jodie Foster's like action hero, action mom era. But then nonstop is is that taken on a plane? Yeah. Like is I that mean, is Liam Neeson, right? It's I mean, all it's Liam Neeson. Have you, Neeson on have a you plane? seen nonstop? <laughs> Nonstop no. is hilarious. <laughs> so nonstop is like he's an ex NYPD cop that has become an air marshal, and then he gets a call on the secure phone as a flight takes off. That's like, unless you like wire this money over, I'm gonna kill somebody every 20 minutes. And so he's like, oh, I gotta find the killer. And after the first 20 minutes, it turns out he kills somebody thinking that they're the person. <laughs> and so the person who's is actually framing Liam Neeson mid-flight while he's killing people. It is hilarious. And it ends also hilariously bad. Uh, but yeah, nonstop is really trying to get to the point where it's like, how much taken can we do given the fact yeah, it's Liam that Neeson only, being black. You can't go anywhere. Yeah, you can't go anywhere. Well, that's what I love about like uh, a movie we're going to talk about later, but like, some of them get real creative about like how many levels there actually are in a plane. Sure. I feel like yeah. the plane you know elevator mean? is something that I've only ever seen in movies. Like the exactly. elevator that goes up and down in uh, Passenger 57 has like, one. Yeah, they kind of want to like turn the plane into a high rise if they can. Because like Die Hard, everything is really just Die Hard on a plane, honestly. Like a lot of these movies that we're going to be talking about. Um, you know, uh, we also have like the post 9 11 very sentimental. Um, you know, like Sully, the Tom Hanks store, uh, Tom Hanks true story film from 2016, or United 93, which is based on, um, you know, the passengers who fought back against the 9 11 yeah, sentimental also, and nausea inducing. Yeah, in 93. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, Flight, I would say, the Robert Zemeckis movie, I would throw into there because even though it is a character study about Denzel Washington's pilot, uh, it's sort of the idea that, like, you know, they have tough lives and they have to deal with it. And like, maybe they can have a drink every once in a while and still call it, pull off a crash. Is this a dream sequence that I'm remembering from this movie? Or did he actually fly the plane upside down in the film? I think he actually flies the plane upside down. I so think that's that, like his trick. There's always some unique trick that an airplane movie has. <laughs> <laughs> How many floors are in this plane? Sure. Can the How plane can go we... upside down? Yeah. Can you connect two planes together? 
Chris. My favorite, my favorite is like in one of these, like in in many of the hijacking plane films that you have to like refuel the plane midair, um, because they refuse to land, and then so you get to like watch these jets come and like refuel the plane midair, and it's very intense. Um, anything else you want to say about history of plane movies? Uh, I do want to point out that, that interestingly, this is something I learned looking these two movies up because I saw a really bad movie. Uh, that I learned was released in 2014. It's called Flight 7500. And it's a like a supernatural uh, airplane movie. Uh, you don't have to see it. It's not that great. But then I realized that Joseph Gordon-Levitt had already had also released a movie in 2019 called 7500 uh, while trying to Google the, the dumb one. Uh, and I haven't seen it, so I don't know if it's dumb or not. But that's how I learned that 7500 is apparently the transponder code for like we've been hijacked. Oh. So huh. that's why that number like appears uh in airplane movies occasionally okay i, I know i, I know, know what I learned. 7500 and 187 mean from movies <laughs> <laughs> thanks movies <laughs> uh but yeah i think um uh, that's that, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good rundown of some ones is are there any other uh pre-trial dismissals before we get into our pick uh, that maybe aren't on this list that have you guys have come across? I just want people to know that if you see a film called Airborne from 2012 starring Mark Hamill, uh, or you're like thinking of watching that, I would encourage you to put it down and instead watch <laughs> the film Airborne from the 90s with Seth Green, which is about competitive inline rollerblading. And it is tremendously good. Yes, that was another one where I <laughs> looked up the wrong movie and I was like reading a plot description. I'm like, this seems like it's not about airplanes. Airborne from the 90s is one of my favorite films of all time. Is it good? No, but it's great. Okay, Jack Black is there. Seth Green is there. We have, there's a giant scape down a hill called Devil's Backbone. Anyway, we'll talk about that That's another awesome. day. Yeah, and there's I, no planes I, I can't involved. say that I've seen the most recent uh, entry in this, Horizon Line from 2020. But I will tell you this, I've seen the Fablemans, so if the horizon's in the middle, it's boring as shit. It's bad as shit. <laughs> so the, wherever the horizon line is in that movie, it better be at the top or the bottom. That's all I know. <laughs> that one is like Allison Williams and her ex uh, are going to a destination wedding that their friend is holding, which requires them to take a prop plane over the ocean and the a uh, pilot has a heart attack and they both have to figure out how to l- get where they're going slash land the plane, apparently. But I also have not seen it. Rise of the Line 2020. Allison Williams also carving out a little, th- you know, thriller subgenre space for herself. She's got a... a- you talking about Megan? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I love that for her. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. 
To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Which is going to bring us to our actual host debate uh, because Joanna came in first last week with Into the Spider-Verse. So she gets to kick us off this week. Um, I don't know that I have a lot to like, say about this incredible movie that I'm about to talk to you about. As I teased earlier, sometimes like you know, there's only one person who can stop what's going on uh, on on the plane when things go wrong. And sometimes it's uh, Liam Neeson. And sometimes it's Jody Foster. And sometimes it's the fucking president of the United States, Harrison Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Air Force One is my pick here. I have uh, a film that I have, of all the plane movies, I think I've seen the most. Harrison Ford plays President James Marshall. James Marshall, a perfect presidential name, by the way. Um, a lot of great names for, in these movies. For the 90s. Yeah. Um, this um, takes place primarily on a plane. You get some ground uh, action going on with like uh, Vice President Glenn Close and a, a murderous row of talent on the cabinet trying to decide what to do about Air Force One. But Air Force One gets hijacked by terrorist Gary Oldman. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a, we, the terrorists in this uh, particular film are of the Soviet variety. Love that for us. And for those of you who listen to our Lost podcast, I just want to shout out that Andrew Divoff, who plays Mikhail on Lost, is beautifully turtlenecked and evil uh, in this movie. Does he does he do anything other than evil? No. Um, I just I, this is a perfect action movie. And what is Harrison? What is what is Harrison Ford saying in this movie? Like, get off my get damn off plane! My plane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on! I am not a very patriotic person. I don't like put presidents up on pedestals. But like, my exception is Air Force One, where Harrison Ford punches a bunch of people. And this is one of those movies that Neil is referencing, where like there's an elevator yeah. on a plane. <laughs> Why is there an elevator on that plane? <laughs> what is this plane of an elevator? Does I, I mean, mean if maybe there's going to be an elevator on would, a plane, it's it would probably be on Air Force yeah, that's yeah, that's true. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, anyway, because isn't uh, it the elevator down to the area of the plane that like the back half is like sixty percent escape hatch that immediately gets blown and then he hides in there? Well, it's like the kitchens. He goes down ah, to like the kitchen's the, area, the servants' quarters yeah. on the president's <laughs> plane. <laughs> 
where the riffraff go and you don't see them. That's the other thing about a plane movie, like not Air Force One necessarily, though you do have like the press corps and then like whatever else. But like you talked about a plane being a place where like people who wouldn't normally interact necessarily are sort of all jammed together. That's a recipe for either racially insensitive shit or some interesting social dynamics. And then it's also a plane, you know, uh, for the most part, planes are these places where the social strata divide is so clear when you've got literal classes. They literally call it class divide. <laughs> you know? yeah. So um, shout out bridesmaids. So um, yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, Air Force One, what a banger. That's all I have to say. Air Force One. Uh, I guess next up would be Neil since I, you know, get the benefit of having come in dead last last week. So Neil, sure. Hit us up. Well, I mean, listen, this one, my choice has it all. It has some of the most interesting accent work in the history <laughs> of one of the most interesting <laughs> accent tours, Nicolas Cage. It also has Nicolas Cage's most iconic hair. It, too, has a cast member from Lost. MC Ganey plays a character named Earl Swamp Thing Williams, who can fly the plane. This has young Dave Chappelle before he got weird. Uh, this has... Maybe the most maximum John Malkovich performance of all time as Cyrus the Virus Grissom. I am talking, of course, of a movie that solves the who's the bad guy going to be problem by making everyone a bad guy on the plane. And that is 1997's Con Air, a movie that you may remember as being directed by Michael Bay. But no, it was a Simon West movie. But it was the most Michael Bay movie Simon West has ever made, uh, a product of Jerry Bruckheimer uh, as a producer. One of the great, I mean, okay, so you're watching Con Air, right? And in the first scene, that (laughs) Trisha Yearwood song comes on, How Do I Live? I was just going to mention that this is a movie that is so spicy that it has two versions of How Do I Live in it, right? and. It received an Oscar nomination for Best Original Song and Best Sound. So Con Air is a well-respected film. <laughs> Con Air is a well-respected Prestige film. action movie. You've got, like, Trisha Yearwood, and then you've got Leanne Rimes. And I think that is the wildest thing that has happened to a movie soundtrack, because those two singers are not that different. It's not like, ooh, and then we got, like, a rock and roller. No, we got... One blonde country singer and then a younger blonde country singer <laughs> to also sing the same song for the movie Con Air. Yeah, it's uh, like most great airplane movies. It's got one of the all-time casts. We haven't, I haven't even mentioned John Cusack or some of the all-time that guys, Ving Rhames, Cole Meany as the foil for John Cusack, Michael T. Williamson, uh, who is you know just a good friend to have around in movies as long as you can find him. His needle, Danny Trejo's in it, and uh, yeah, I, I just. There's a lot about this movie. It's script, it's dialogue, it's jokes <laughs> that have not aged particularly well uh, in my eyes, but it's still an amazing action banger, mostly set on a plane or in an airport full of planes. So I feel like that also crosses the line. Uh, yeah, Con Air. Uh, what an amazing film. <laughs> this is This is like almost entirely a sausage fest, but you know how there's like, the wife on the phone role. I have to say that like Monica Potter as wife on wife on the phone. I don't think she does. I don't think her character deserves a name, but as wife on the phone as Trisha Poe, like she's, she's pretty stellar. Monica Potter, like entering her Monica Potter era. So, and I love that all of our movies, I won't talk about Dave's cause he has yet to talk about it, but like both of our movies came out in 97 and Dave's came out 
a year off of that. So this is a real yeah. time, time for play movies. <laughs> well, and all for a specific type of played movie, which makes me think maybe this is as much about how old uh, we are as how old the movies are. Probably. But uh, uh, I'm going to pick a movie that predates the 1997 uh, duo that these two presented by a single year, but has all of the elements of a, what I feel is a successful played movie. It is 1996's executive decision. Is it racially questionable with its villains? Yeah, but they're Chechnyan. Come on. <laughs> is it pretty dumb when it comes to the actual plot of the movie because it has to all take place on an airplane and they don't have an idea outside of Die Hard on an airplane? Yeah, but Halle Berry's there. Come on. And perhaps my uh, favorite part outside of Oliver Platt's whole role is that this movie was uh, marketed as having a very large part by a certain Steven Seagal, who is playing a Lieutenant Colonel Austin Travis, who's going to lead our army team uh, onto this hijacked plane. Uh, but uh, Steven Seagal does not make it onto the plane. He dies like a third of the way through the movie, which was not marketed at the time and managed to make this movie, which is otherwise pretty much not surprising if you've ever seen a Die Hard movie. Um, plane film, uh, a little bit more surprising. Uh, but other than that, it has a whole bunch of uh, people that you are used to seeing and knocking out of the park in lesser movies. Halle Berry, as I mentioned, John Leguizamo as a character, they just call Rat. Uh, I guess he has his name. <laughs> Captain his first Carlos, Carlos Rat Lopez, U.S. Army yeah. Special Forces, to his friends. I mean, I rewatched the movie and didn't hear any Carlos <laughs> Lopez, so maybe I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Uh, but they just have Rat in there. Uh, Joe Morton, who you might uh, recognize from Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I realize that having seen this movie so many times in my youth, like in both that and at the end of Judgment Day, he's like pretty incapacitated. So he's always just sort of like, his character's always incapacitated in my mind, uh, which is, you know, not his fault at all. He's been in two notable movies that I'm lumping together. I know that I should like say that I know Joe Morton as, you know, Mr. Skynet himself. Mr. Skynet. Um, but I know him as Olivia Pope's dad on Scandal, for which he won, I think, at least an Emmy, if not multiple. Either way, you're going to see a whole bunch of people uh, pop up that uh, look familiar. But of course, it's all led by Kurt Russell, who's a <laughs> army consultant. whose character insists on wearing a tuxedo through all of the play, like through the whole, he's going to go along for the ride in the secret army jet. And he's like, I don't have time to change out of my tuxedo. Yeah. He at least takes his tie off before getting trapped in the airplane in combat <laughs> conditions. But yes, he is mostly in a suit. They eventually give him a bulletproof vest, but I just love how the character it starts and they have him in the tuxedo and glasses glasses. And, mm -hmm. and yeah. they keep talking. They keep talking about how he messed up this operation that Steven Seagal uh, uh, did to try to find like this nerve gas. And so now Steven Seagal is like distrusting of Kurt Russell entirely because he's like, you know, you're going to make me fuck up my career again. And you're like, surely this is what the movie is about. And then nope, they kill off Steven Seagal and Kurt Russell has to take over. <laughs> and luckily, Kurt Russell has some some training flying a plane because, spoiler alert, he's going to have to land that plane and he manages to find a spot from like his memory of when he was training. Just 
hilarious escalations uh, in this movie. I think it works really well within its own internal logic. And as I mentioned before, Oliver Platt's uh, character, Cahill, uh, he's an engineer that also is not supposed to be on the plane, but gets trapped in there. And uh, his character is great because Oliver Platt, very entertaining to watch. But the purpose of his character is just to keep re-explaining the stakes like here's why everything needs to be pressurized here's why the bomb is like fucking crazy here's what we're gonna do with the bomb for like 40 minutes they're working on the bomb for like 40 minutes uh and then finally uh you know here's why none of us are qualified to do this so it keeps um doing things uh, to escalate the stakes so you don't notice things like why is there an elevator in this plane or (laughs) There's a whole why is, sequence. Why is there an attic in this? This plane has that, like an that was attic. the other one. Yeah. There's a whole sequence where John Leguizamo has enough room to sort of suspend himself above <laughs> the plane roofing, uh, and then like added some cameras so you could get a look at the passengers. And I'm like, it shouldn't that be luggage space or something? Like, yeah. isn't it important how much weight you could carry on this plane? Uh, so yeah, executive decision. I think really hits right down the line where. It's dumb enough to not be super offensive about some of the assumptions that it's making, but also thrilling enough that you can't stop uh, to picture it being dumb, which this week, I think all three of our movies sort of have in common, (laughs) all of them very dumb if you just sit back and think about it, but they're all very propulsive. Which is tricky to do when you're trapped on a plane, like to keep it to keep it like feeling like there's a lot of momentum behind it when you're just like in one space. I mean, I guess that's how, why you add an attic and an elevator and a basement and like <laughs> a kitchen and all sorts of stuff to your plane, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting the, the lengths that they all have to go to uh, because if you were to explain our three movies as we did here before they'd been released... You'd be like, that sound, not only is it taking place on a plane, but it sounds like a ridiculous plot. Like, why would that, any of those things happen? But yeah, it's just die hard on a plane, die hard on a plane, die hard on a plane, uh, pretty much. And um, die hard too, we haven't mentioned, um, but that's like, that's an airport movie more mm-hmm. than it is a plane right. movie. So um, just just in case anyone's like, why haven't you mentioned die hard too? Um by the way, Kurt Russell's glasses in this movie, I feel like someday we should do a great uh, uh, trial by content about Kurt Russell and eyewear because I feel like yeah, sure. if Kurt Russell had like his sunglasses and the thing or his eye patch, his snake, like there's like oh, yeah. something about Kurt Russell and eyewear that like really bumps up the value of, of the movie. So Of um, the Kurt Russell performance. Yeah, yeah. it's important. Which I think is, we know it's going to be executive decision, Air Force One Con Air. There's a fourth spot left in our poll, and that's where we're going to bring up your submissions. We've each picked one of the listener submissions that people have emailed to trialbycontent at gmail.com. And we're going to figure out which one of these three bangers is going to end up the fourth on our poll. Leo, why don't you go first? Sure. Well, I have chosen one from listener Steven. <laughs> This one is another one that very, very... This would be my just missed award for me this this week. Is This was next on my list. Me too. Yeah. But as Stephen explains, the year was 2006, and the online world was collectively smitten with the upcoming film that is my pick for Best Airplane Film. So smitten, in fact, that reshoots happened to incorporate feedback from the internet, something that has not gone well in history. 
Uh, including the iconic line, I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. There was even a voicemail call service whereby you could have Sam yes. Jackson call your friends and tell them to go see it. I myself had a snakes on a plane party, including a shitload of toy snakes and planes that I would go on to randomly find in my apartment for over a decade. Steven, thanks you for that. Thank you for that story. And snakes on a plane, uh, which I think... It is one of, listen, it's a great airplane movie uh, in the sense that it is set on an airplane and does some really weird shit on an airplane, but also uh, another really interesting time capsule of culture, <laughs> like in 2006 and and how Hollywood uh, very, very much overestimated the online popular. It, it reminds me of like when they put Morbius back in theaters now, like Snakes on a Plane was that times like a thousand. <laughs> It's the difference between like what is a they didn't understand memes yet. Exactly. And they're like, oh, the, the like from the trailer, this became like a meme, but that doesn't mean it's a movie that people wanted to see. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I did see Snakes in a Plane in the theater. I did too, and yeah. there's there's a there's a couple sequences where the camera goes to like as the snake POV. <laughs> And my friends and I just started going snake vision anytime <laughs> it did that um, quietly because we were in a movie theater. But this, right. I mean, you don't need to be that quiet for snakes in the plane. Um, and also, I definitely did the voicemail thing where I had Sam Jackson call Hell like yeah. some of my friends. So, uh, Hell yeah. 100%. yeah. My biggest memory of this is the snake that hides in the toilet and bites the guy right on the dick. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I realize this movie is going to be different scenarios where snakes attack people on a plane, but I don't know why I was not expecting it to go immediately for just right on the dick. It's, it's right up there with, uh, what was the 80s movie? Critters? Wasn't Critters? There's one oh, with a guy on the toilet and the critter attacks Slither? Him. Slither may have also done it. I just remember one uh, from my childhood that may have caused some trauma. Snakes, so <laughs> for reference, for like... Not not that money's everything, right? But like Con Air made $224 million at the box office. Air Force One makes $315 million at the box office. Snakes on a Plane made $62 million at the box office. <laughs> yeah. So not the hit that they were hoping it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was there was even like a while there a couple of years after it came out where people were like thinking this is going to be like a Rocky horror picture show level like classic where people like show up to screenings and like you can throw snakes at them. That also went poorly. Uh, almost everything that has happened <laughs> since this movie came out has gone downhill, which I think is working against it, but it would be terrible of us not to mention it in this debate. So they, they peaked the trailer. They really did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. Cause we don't have like, you know, if we would have had sequels and sequels of snakes on a plane, we've already, we'd be to like, what, alligators and on Mars at this point. Like if you have to keep escalating how dumb something is. Sure. Or if so it's just snakes done, on, snakes on, uh, you know, kind of like fast and furious where maybe the snakes become international heist snakes, snakes, heisters. snakes on a train, <laughs> snakes Dude, on a submarine, snakes stealing cars, <laughs> snakes, stealing cars, snakes, but they're in Brazil this time and they have to get, they have to get into a safe bank vault. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, now the, the and now franchise. the rock has joined the franchise. Oh yeah. The rock definitely <laughs> would have joined the franchise if they, if, if snakes on a plane would have made money. 
yo, Snake Six is going to change the power structure of the Snake's universe. He would have had a beef with the snake because the snake called him a, a candy ass or something. And he'd be like, you know what? Here's my rule in my contract. The snake cannot beat me in a fight. Right. It's very important. To I me. have to beat the I snake. Have to beat, I have to beat all the snakes. <laughs> I have to beat all the snakes. <laughs> all right. So that's my listener pick. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can I go next? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right, my my choice also comes from a Steven, but a different Steven. We this double Steven checked in, to make sure they were different yeah, Stevens. Yeah, <laughs> we did. This Steven wrote in, want to put a plug for Red Eye. Saw this movie as a teenager and thought it was suspenseful and well acted. Also, my first introduction to my biggest crush as a teenager, Rachel McAdams, who gives a fantastic performance. The last 30 minutes or so, starting with the pen into Killian Murphy's trachea, Sorry, spoilers for Red Eye. Is great. I can't look away once that sequence starts until the end of the movie. And yes, I do realize this is part of the movie that doesn't take place on a plane. Haha. Yeah. So <laughs> not all of Red Eye takes place on a plane, we should say, but a lot of it does. <clears throat> and it's very much that, like, this is a Wes Craven film. Uh, it's very much that, like, you're trapped here, uh, worst nightmare sort of scenario. Um, Rachel McAdams had done The Notebook and Mean Girls at this point. Killian Murphy had really only done 28 Days Later in terms of, like, bigger movies. Um, but this was, like, a real intro to, like, sexy, scary Killian Murphy. So he's <laughs> so sexy, scary in this movie. And, like, the, the like, sexual tension between these two people is outrageous. This film rules... Um, I love it. I'm I'm glad that Red Eye is in the conversation here. Yeah, I like the middle part of the movie because Rachel McAdams does a lot of good tries to get out of the plot, and he catches her like in three different you know schemes, yeah. like yeah. trying to ca- fake the phone call, trying to write on the mirror, and he's just like, nope, I'm ahead of you there. And it's starting with you know obviously the fact that he set this whole thing up. But I, I like I like how smart the the villain is in in Red Eye as opposed to our pick from the mid nineties. Like <laughs> yeah, any of our choices. Yeah. Well, John Malkovich. John Malkovich I, has I would a like plan, to see. Yeah. I would like to see Cyrus the Virus versus Killian Murphy's character in Red Eye. I think that would be that really would be good. Uh, that, would, that would be fun. square off. Yeah, but versus the snakes. Versus the snakes. Yeah. Cyrus versus, the Virus. That would be snakes on a plane eight. It'd be this yeah. huge crossover between multiple franchises. <laughs> it's like the Expendables, but make it snakes on a plane. Uh, so I picked one that many of you wrote in about, but I'm going to pick Sarah, who wrote in to say, my submission for best plane movie is the classic 1980s Zucker Abrams movie, Airplane! Exclamation point. This quintessential parody of the 1970s disaster genre gave us classic one-liners, Don't Call Me Shirley, I picked a bad week to quit sniffing glue, etc. <laughs> Outrageous running gags, the white zone announcements, Clarence, 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 but it's not that important. And the best Kareem Abdul-Jabbar cameo ever. There are no snakes, no presidents, and no explosions. <laughs> oh, it's like she knew. But <laughs> airplane <laughs> flies high above all other airplane movies. Yeah, man. Uh, airplane. Airplane. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's iconic for a reason. Uh, speaking of like problematic movies oh yeah yeah oh, oh, yeah. oh buddy um airplane exclamation mark is completely problematic however i mean it's also an, again an interesting time capsule into what they thought was edgy humor in the late 70s early 80s right because you know even even in its day it was a fairly edgy movie but a lot of it is yeah based on like racial stereotypes and it's like eh, that that stuff hasn't aged well but a highly <laughs> quotable film leslie nielsen Amazing. 
Is this the beginning of Leslie Nielsen's like spoof movie run? I think yeah. so. Oh, yeah. This one actually did spawn a franchise. I did not watch Airplane 2 for prep for this, I'm going to be honest. But uh it did go on. I and and it is also in that sort of like movie that's parodied parodying other things around the time, right? Like I was kind of caught off guard in my rewatch of Airplane, even though it's a, a wonderful 87-minute movie, like one of the great all-time under 90-minute films. <laughs> um, but like how much of it actually isn't on the plane, like how much of it is set up and uh, flashbacks that set up the relationship between Ted and Elaine, including the um, there's a Saturday Night Fever <laughs> riff yeah. with, with a bunch of like Where swarthy he, like, her. <laughs> like yeah. sailor people dancing. Um, so it it's got it all. And uh, I don't, I, that's the thing. It's, it, there's some really problematic humor in this that I don't know if I would recommend it to just anybody these days, but I feel like as a student of cinema, airplane will always be necessary to understanding not just airplane movies that came after, but like parodies that came after, right? Like full eras of parody. Here's the um, Leslie Nielsen from airplane to like dominating our spoof movie childhood uh era it's similar to Gerard Butler where like because if you go watch classic films Leslie Nielsen was like a heartthrob in like the 50s <laughs> stuff like that there's a very famous Debbie Reynolds movie called Tammy Tammy the Bachelor I think it's called where he's like deeply hot and like the love interest in that movie um but when he started playing like dumb spoof I think it starts an airplane then the people who made airplane made a tv show called police squad which he was in and then they started making you know the Naked Gun movies, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, Leslie Nielsen, what a what a comedy icon, and yeah, you know, this is this is where we this is where it all started. Yeah. So. Good luck. We're all counting on you. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah. Time to narrow it down. Uh. I. I'll go. I think Can we, I go first? We, yeah. Go ahead. I will. With love to you, Stephen, not be a good ally and disqualify Red Eye for too much of it not taking place on a plane. I think. Oh, oh, you went first. You cut your own out. Well, there's a whole airport sequence, and then there's the whole like trying to assassinate someone in a building sequence. Like, there's, there's, yeah, it's the middle part of the movie, and it's so good. And I wish, I actually wish the whole movie were just on the plane. Like, I would take a little airport and then on the plane. The movie gets less good when we get off the plane. So, um, that's what I would say for Red Eye. But I'm glad we it's, it should be here in this sort of final cutting stage. Yeah, we should we should mention the good plane yeah. parts. So down to Snakes on a Plane and Airplane. I feel like these are both movies <laughs> that are going to have like a when people start this podcast and they see the title is Best Airplane Movie. I think both of these are going to leap to listeners' minds. Uh, the question is, Neil. I think we're doing best. And I think if we're just going with actual writing, uh, even though uh, some of the jokes might be tasteless from the 1980 airplane, it's a clever, witty movie that goes beyond what if the snake bit a dude on the dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I doesn't go above that necessarily, <laughs> but does go beyond that. Yeah, I would say that that that's sort of the essential difference between these two movies. One understands all of the jokes that's telling whether or not we love those jokes is a whole different thing you know 40 years later the other one didn't quite understand uh, its joke 
which its was own joke. its own joke, yeah. which I think is is a problem. Snakes on a Plane will always, for me, resonate as a really particular film that came at a really particular time of the internet, and it's fascinating for that reason. But Airplane is a way better Airplane movie. I I think that like what's frustrating about Snakes on a Plane is I feel like there's a great movie oh, in sure. there. The reboot's going to be awesome. <laughs> you put Sam Jackson and Snakes on a plane? Like, how did they get that wrong, is my question. So, it's one of the questions uh, I mean, for all time. I think by making the exact assumption we're making now, it's like, surely there's a good movie in there. I have the peanut butter, I have the chocolate. Why are these tastes not working together? It's like, because your, your, your tastes are Snakes and Plane and Sam Jackson. Those are... Wildly different. Anyway, our final poll for this week for the best airplane movie is going to be Airplane from the listeners, Con Air from Neil, Joanna's Air Force One, no longer just Harrison Ford's Air Force One, but Joanna <laughs> Robinson's. And my pick, Executive Decision, where we were most, we were obviously really into playing movies when we were all alive in the mid 90s that's what we've learned but you guys luckily get to make the final call and you could shoot down all the mid 90s action in favor of airplane you can find our poll for the best airplane movie on the ringer.com at ringer on twitter and in the spotify app where you find trial by content you choose the winner and we'll announce it next week but don't sign off yet neil we're going to peer a little bit further ahead into the future. Let's not just talk about next week, but what can people write in to influence the future content of Trial by Content? Yeah, <clears throat> a ton of homework assignments this week for our listeners. <laughs> uh, next week, we are uh, going to be celebrating the start of The Last of Us HBO series. And you know that we used to cover a little show called Game of Thrones. Do you guys remember this, Game of Thrones? We are going to be debating... Who has had the best career after Game of Thrones? And that is inspired, of course, by Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey leading The Last of Us. So take an actor from the original Game of Thrones series, any of the eight seasons, even if they were killed off halfway through and are now leading a zombie series, uh, and uh, tell us who's had the, the best career since, since Thrones ended. That'll be a fun one. Uh, and then, of course, the following week, we're, we've got a, a fun topic as well. We're going to be talking about worst movie twist. We heard that M. Night Shyamalan has a few things coming out. He makes us think <laughs> of movie twists. We don't know if his movie twists are going to be the worst, but uh, doing a worst debate is always fun. So interpret that how you will. If <laughs> Well, if we're going to spoil twists, we wouldn't want to spoil the best yeah. movie twist for you. So we yeah. figured this was a safer yeah. debate topic. Yeah. It's a bad one. That one's going to come with uh, tons of spoilers. And uh, be a lot of fun. And then this is the really special one. In February, we are hosting what we are calling a trial royale, which will be a multi-week affair. It's going to include multiple polls over several weeks that will determine what is the best zombie movie ever. That's it. Period. Fast, fast zombies. Slow, slow zombies. Zombies, uh, zombies in a mall. Comedy zombies. zombies. <laughs> Zombies on Mars. Yeah, wherever zombies um, sh zombies on a plane. Uh, there's yeah. a couple of them yeah. out there. 
<laughs> so, and this for this one, we need uh, our listeners to submit picks in advance before we get in, into our multi-week trek. So, submit your picks for the best zombie movie ever by January thirty-first, and then we're gonna have a it's gonna we're gonna have a little bracket. We're gonna do a couple weeks of debate. It's gonna be a, a lot of fun. And of course, uh, you can send your picks for any of these: best career after Game of Thrones for next week, worst movie twist for the following week, or the trial royale for best zombie movie ever to trial by content at gmail.com. And as always, uh, send along your ideas for future trials. We have an amazing bucket full of ideas coming up for this year. So uh, yeah, lots of fun, a little bit of homework. It's going to be fun next couple of weeks. Yeah. Start watching those zombie movies and getting, getting your picks into us because that's going to be, that's going to be a long uh, undead debate that is can, could include a, po- a lot of different uh, what are it, tones, feelings, genres. It's going to be fun. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we will see you next week with Best Career After Game of Thrones. This episode was produced by Carlos Cherubo. 